0: There is uh, an approach to healthy eating that I've heard uh, people talk about before that is based on the idea that if you pay attention to what you're you're hungering for, what you're craving your body will tell you what it needs. So Not being a nutritionist, I'm I'm sure I'm not doing full justice to this theory, but my understanding is that generally, this is along the lines of if you have this sudden craving for avocado or bananas or broccoli or something, eat some. Because your body is trying to get whatever nutrients are in that particular source to help balance... Your, your needs and, and your growth and all that. So uh, paying attention to the specific things that you might be wanting to eat or what you're craving to eat um, is actually a, a, a healthy way to uh, go about things. Unfortunately, for people like me, this is a great theory as long as you keep sugar and saturated fats out of the equation because sugar and saturated fats tend to throw off this whole theory along the lines of if i'm craving cauliflower and on my way to the store to get some cauliflower cauliflower i stop by top pot donuts that sweet fatty maple bar is going to overpower the cauliflower craving. So in order for this way of eating to work, a person needs to both eliminate certain foods from their lives and learn how to pay attention to what their body is truly wanting. I believe that Something along these lines is what Peter was getting at in this passage that we are looking at this morning. His focus is not specifically on healthy eating, but healthy living in a more general sense. Peter sees certain behaviors that are masking the true needs of those to whom he is writing, and so he urges them to get rid of certain practices, behaviors in their lives and pay greater attention to what they are truly wanting for a healthy life. Through these words of Peter, I believe that God may be encouraging the same of us. There are certain behaviors that are distracting, even destructive for our society to help build the kind of community that God desires for all human beings, God is encouraging us to get rid of certain practices in our lives and learn to yearn for the word of God. We hear what we need to get rid of in our lives in that first verse. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. A former professor of mine at Regent College, Peter Davids, points out something very important about the specific behaviors that are named here and their relationship to us currently. He writes, what has to be gotten rid of is not the grosser vices of paganism, but community-destroying vices that are often tolerated in the modern church. Community-destroying vices. The focus isn't so much on personal sins like drunkenness or gluttony or sexual immorality. The ones Peter lists specifically are behaviors that are directly focused at other persons and are destructive to relationships with others. Again, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, those are all community destroying in their focus. And I would have to agree with uh, Peter Davids that these sins are all too often tolerated in the church in our day. And think of how often we have seen these things at work from those who publicly claim to be leadership in the Christian church or in the Christian world. I have long been appalled at the hypocrisy of so many of those who claim to be pro-life, who truly only care about life in the yet to be born. But once a child is born, they're on their own, and adults are all on their own. That's not pro-life. The Apostle Peter says, get rid of that hypocrisy and all hypocrisy and all the rest of these community-destroying behaviors, malice, deceit, envy, slander. And I hear those Words directed to me as well. I commit these sins to varying degrees. So this is not just one part of the church community that needs to rid itself of these things. These behaviors destroy community. And they distract us from what is truly needful. In order for us to discern what we are wanting, what we truly need, Peter says, stop doing these other things and allowing yourself to get caught up in those. Then he says, instead, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. I find this focus of Peter's fascinating. He doesn't say, satisfy yourself with God. He says, crave what God provides. Like a baby craves milk from its mother's breast. Sure, a baby is satisfied immediately after nursing, but in the grand scheme of things, babies don't say stay satisfied very long. Even after nursing. The nursing goes on and on and on and in most societies of the world it goes on for years because the mother is providing the nourishment the child needs to be healthy, to grow. So the baby's craving goes on and on for years. I love (laughs) This observation from the 17th century Scottish pastor, Robert Layton. He notes, the baby does not tire of having breast milk every day. It desires it as if it had never had it before. Peter says this is how we should be in our craving for God. Like a baby craves its mother's milk. It is only from God that we will receive the nourishment that we truly need for a full, healthy life. This nourishment from God is even more important to our existential health than nourishing the physical life of the body alone. We hear that proclaimed even from the earliest of God's interactions with God's people. Be careful, Moses says, to follow all these commands that I have given you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter the land that God has promised you. Remember how the Lord God led you out into the desert and how out there you were hungry and God fed you this unknown, very unusual new to you type of food, manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that men and women do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is a significant statement about what we need to, to live, to truly live in the fullness of what God desires for us. It's not by bread alone or top pot donuts, although I could last a long time just with those. One important aspect for experiencing the nourishment that comes from God that Peter is saying is cultivating a craving for God. Again, we often think that our goal in life is contentment, is to be satisfied with what we, we have. And there's an aspect of that that is, that is good and healthy. That would be the ideal if we lived in an ideal world. But this side of death, it's highly unlikely that we will ever be fully satisfied. For most of us, a desire for more peace, more understanding, more love will never be fully satisfied this side of death. And as consequence, what we often end up doing is masking our discontent with behaviors that bring only temporary relief. Peter says, instead, rid your lives of all of those things that are ultimately unsatisfying and learn to yearn constantly for more of God. And God will provide us more and more of what we need. In a great instance of God's providence, As I mentioned earlier, the book we are currently reading uh, for the Congregations Book Group explores some of these issues from the perspective of Jesus himself. In this fictionalized portrait of Jesus's last days, Amelie Northam, uh, in the novel called Thirst, interestingly, has Jesus extolling the virtue of a type of craving. This is, uh, again, uh, from Jesus' perspective. He he says, there's no greater pleasure than a glass of water when you are dying of thirst. It's no coincidence that I chose this part of the world. It was not enough for me that this is a place of political unevil. I needed a land of great thirst. No other sensation more eloquently evokes what I seek to inspire than thirst. That is surely why no one has experienced it as often as I have. Truth to tell, what you feel when you are dying of thirst is something you must cultivate. Therein lies the mystical urge. It is not its metaphor. When you are no longer hungry, hungry, that is called satiety. When you are no longer tired, that is called rest. When you cease to suffer, that is called comfort. When you are no longer thirsty, there's no word for it. Language in its wisdom has understood that there must be no antonym for thirst. You can quench thirst, yet the noun for it does not exist. There are people who do not consider themselves mystics. They are wrong. It takes only a moment of extreme thirst to attain such a state. And the ineffable instant when that parched man raises a glass of water to his lips, that is God. It is an instant of absolute love and boundless wonder. Whosoever has this experience is bound to be pure and noble for as long as it lasts. I came to teach that fervor, nothing else. Those who thirst should delay the moment of drinking. Not indefinitely, of course. The point is not to endanger one's health. I'm not asking for a meditation on one's thirst. I'm asking that it be deeply experienced, body and soul, before it is quenched. Try this experiment. After dying of thirst for a good long while, don't drink your glass of water all in one go. Take a single sip and keep it in your mouth for a few seconds before swallowing. Notice how wonderful it feels. That dazzling moment is God. I repeat, this is not a metaphor for God. The love you feel in that precise moment for your sip of water is God. It is I who am able to feel this love for everything that exists. That is what it means to be Christ. What a fascinating way to think about not being satisfied in a sense. For thirsting after God. And we heard that in we hear that a lot in the Psalms. My soul thirsts after you like a deer pants for water. Ultimately, ultimately, we will experience God in full and be satisfied. And that was what Jesus was trying to give a clue about to the woman at the well in the country, the Samaritan country. And how he says, uh, I will give you water that will truly quench you. That will, sat, that, will, that will be within you like an artesian spring welling up with life constantly. Ultimately, that will be our experience. Ultimately, the fullness of experience of Christ in us will be satisfying. But again, this side of death, we will only have sips and tastes here and there. The temptation, because it's only a sip or a taste here and there, the temptation is to mask our true needs with experiences and behaviors that distract and destroy. This morning, through Peter's words, God encourages us instead to rid our lives of those things that distract and learn instead to yearn for the word. Allow our cravings to lead us to God with as much singularity of purpose as a baby craves its mother's milk. God will provide us with the nourishment we need. Thanks be to God.